I'm your host, Alice. So let's get started. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Andrew Davis, CMO at Paddle. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the changing nature of B2B buying behavior and how more than ever, B2B marketers need to be focusing on building brand awareness early in the buyer journey. Um, I think this is a really interesting conversation, especially now where marketing budgets are coming under scrutiny and it might seem counterintuitive to be investing in brand. Um, But I think this um, is a great conversation to be having with Andrew, who I know has been doing a lot of this at Paddle and I'm really excited to, to get into it. So I will let you kick us off with an intro to yourself and your background and also a bit about Paddle and um, team size so that the audience has a little bit of um, perspective for the episode. Sure thing. Well, thanks for having me, Alice. Um, yeah, in background, I live down in, in Devonshire in the countryside with my wife and kids. Um, I was the co-founder and CMO of a, a business called Idio, which was a personalization platform that we launched and then scaled to offices in London, New York, San Francisco, raised a bunch of money for that and exited that in 2019. Um, we went into then into a roll-up backed by Insight Venture Partners. So we were the first in of a five acquisition spree. So sell side once and buy side four times after that. The largest acquisition was Optimizely. So we rebranded the whole group Optimizely and I was running global brand, digital and demand gen um, for that roll-up and then joined Paddle 1st of January uh, last year um, as CMO. So, yep, Paddle's a complete payments infrastructure for SaaS businesses that want to scale globally. So if you're product-led and you're going to market, um, we take take care of all of the difficult, complicated subscription, currency, uh, fraud prevention, uh, sales tax compliance, so you can sell everywhere compliantly in the world. Um, And then also last year, we bought ProfitWell, um, which is a business that has the leading SaaS metrics platform, uh, a really strong... um, retention product called retain that we can talk about if it's interesting and then price intelligently which is one of the industry's best pricing teams so we're trying to make sure that we can help SaaS founders and SaaS go-to-market leaders scale their businesses automatically amazing and just in terms to give people a bit of um understanding of size how big is your marketing org paddle so marketing includes product marketing and demand gen and brand creative and uh, under demand gen, we also sit all of our BDRs in the marketing function. And so mm-hmm. marketing is about 55 people overall. Um, and obviously a bunch of those will be our BDR teams, uh, which is a team I love in this business and um, real, real heartbeat of our, of our demand engine. And so outside of our BDRs and BDR management, um, I think marketing is probably 16, 17 people in central function. Amazing. Cool. Okay, well, let's um, let's get into it. Um, okay, I think some of our listeners who probably are familiar with with you and Paddle and what you guys have been doing will know that you have been looking at brand awareness a little bit differently over there at Paddle. So it would be really good if you could give us um, a little bit of information around some of your recent campaigns, um, e.g. the space one. Um, I know that when I came to you and did a a panel talk the other day, or I mean, it was probably a month or so ago. Um, I got a preview of quite a cool kickoff video. <laughs> so yeah, um, we'd love to hear a bit more about that. Sure. So when I walked into 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 the role at Paddle, there was a few things I loved about this business, and one of them was the ambition. Um, Christian, the CEO, the founder, um, and the marketing team, the the leadership team here, there was clearly a massive ambition um, to make a dent in in our portion of the universe. And also the unit economics of the business to enable us to go and do that. Um, it's all very well to have those aspirations, but there's, there's, you've got to have the machinery <laughs> to make sure that you can, uh, you can execute on that. And we had 
what I think everyone here would admit was a pretty immature brand when I joined. Now, I can't take credit for the the upgrade of the brand that happened because that had been ongoing for six or seven months in the background. Um, but I, I helped the team land that and it really made sure we showed up in a much more credible and mature way. Um, so that was the first piece of this, was making sure that we weren't seen as this bit geeky, uh, UK, very pale blue cartoons um, type uh, appearance. Um, but, you know, we process a huge volume of, of, of the SaaS kind of infrastructure for, for PLG businesses. 3,000 customers, 4,000 customers sit on top of our platform. It's, it's, it's incredibly important that we show up as a part of the internet that is here to stay um, and that it here, is here to grow companies from zero to IPO. So with that platform then, um, there are a whole bunch of creative ideas within this business. And often I'm not the initiator of those. You know, I'm reasonably creative myself, but I consider my job to be a steward of other people's creativity. And so there's been a few fun things we've done. We, we cut a documentary behind the scenes of the $200 million acquisition of ProfitWell, um, which we can talk about. We did this space campaign where we, we sent a device to space with 4K cameras and filmed uh, it, it processing a payment. And there's some key custom insight that sat behind that. Um, but really what you have in this business is a media team that's come from largely from the profit well side of the house as we acquired that business, they've been doing show programming and podcasts, video series for years and have been really well known for it. Um, and then on the paddle side, there's you know clearly a, a, a larger business um, and a different proposition. And we're now trying to bring the best of those two things together. So if we talk about that space one, that was actually a, a one minute conversation with Christian, our CEO, maybe almost a year ago, nine months ago. Um, and it comes from really the core essence of our business, which is to help founders scale their SaaS businesses globally. And so his one liner to me was, why don't we send something to space to show we can do it in space as well? And it, it was a quick conversation of, okay, I've got it. And then we went away and worked on that together um, as a team and then came back with this whole plan that we we went and executed. Amazing. And I guess like just as... An insight for our listeners, especially now budgets are, are tighter, there's more scrutiny on how we're spending things. So amazing campaign and obviously something that stands out in B2B. But beyond that, like what, what were you really trying to achieve? And I guess, how are you measuring if you've been successful against that? Like what? Yeah. What's the key drivers for you? So let's just take this documentary and the space campaign to give two different examples. So um, when it comes to ROI, one way of making ROI work is to make sure the eye is very small. And with the documentary, um, we made sure the eye, the investment was very small, and therefore the return on investment was quite an easy model to prove. Um, so with this documentary, we used a, an award-winning independent documentary filmmaker that was a friend of mine in my network, and he runs a charity now and was able to come in and, um, you know, he really loved the project, came in behind the scenes. We used our own internal team for a bunch of that. And then really the what we're trying to do is tell the acquisition story in a way that resonated with our SaaS founder market. Um, because many SaaS founders, they want to either acquire or be acquired. And so filming the behind the scenes of an acquisition journey was a key moment that we could help uh, explore their ambitions, tell our story. Um, and also we used it as, a, as an execution piece in different pop-up showings in our offices around the world and at conferences. The space campaign was a bit different because um, it was really pretty integrated across our entire marketing function. So it had product marketing and demand gen and BDR outreach, and it had a creative and a brand element to it too. And so what we were really trying to do with that was multiple things, definitely move the lever on, on brand awareness, but we were also wanting to open opportunities as well. 
And if we think back to that core insight, the red thread running up there is that wherever you want to take your software company globally or from zero to IPO, you can do it with Paddle. And if we've solved fraud prevention and tax compliance and currency management and all those things for every territory in the world, let's now do it for space. And so it was a bit of a mockumentary there that we could play on for the brand goals. But what it, what we also did behind the scenes is we did custom outreach, custom videos where we shopped in um, the the logo and the the, pay, the the checkout page of 200 of our top target accounts and sent them that video directly. And so there was an ABM piece of it that was happening behind the scenes and a swag piece where you could claim uh, a custom kind of rocket-based or space-based swag at the same time. Um, and so there were very clear op goals as well as, well as brand goals. Amazing. And then how would you go on, how do you sort of actually go about reporting that internally? Is it can, is it sort of um, on a quarterly basis? Are you reporting that to the whole organization? Are you reporting upwards to the board? How, um, and then like, when do you stop reporting on it? Do you ever stop reporting on it? Um, yeah, just interested from, from my perspective. Yeah, so I, honestly, this is more about building the muscle at Paddle. Like if we got nothing back from this, I would still be content with the fact that we did it. And mm-hmm. that doing it is the way that we are able to build insight and confidence and the feedback loop of doing more better in the future. So the first thing to say is like, I'm not being held to some you know rigorous op, op goal from you know senior leadership yeah. here or from the, from the board. There's just not that level of detailed oversight here. What I'm, I'm responsible for is obviously the overall customer acquisition cost and making sure we hit our pipeline goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got a, a lot of remit in how I you know can go at that. Um, we're definitely watching it closely within the marketing function and we're running feedback and, and gathering information weekly as we go through that campaign process. Um, I think the wash up will probably be a good kind of two months after the whole thing goes out and we've seen responses where we can start analyzing what worked, what didn't. We've already got ideas planned for later versions of this that we're then going to apply that learning to. Um, so yeah, it's probably around a quarter in answer to your question that we're mm-hmm. looking at um, for measurement of that that campaign. But really, as I said, it is about us building the muscle to be able to do more like this, where it's rooted in the customer insight that we know, rooted in something that we believe will resonate, um, but is really creatively expressed. And so again, you know, a key thing for me is just getting this done so we can do it again and again. And I think that's so important as well. Like, it can't be overemphasized, like how difficult it can be sometimes to get these types of initiatives off the ground but when you've done it once it becomes a lot easier to do it over and over again and that rinse and repeating is where you really start to see a big impact yeah, so yeah completely um so what do you think might happen to paddle if you didn't jump on board the sort of brand awareness activity now um and what do you think could be the outcome for other orgs that are not focusing on brand like today especially in this sort of tough economic climate yeah my belief is that brand investment means that you don't pay for it in another way in terms of higher CAC for life. Mm-hmm. If you're not making those brand investments now, you're going to be paying more on your customer acquisition cost because it's going to cost more to cut through into those different audiences. So I think firstly, I'm expecting that payoff um, over multiple quarters and multiple years. Mm-hmm. And I think organizations that aren't able to make those bets early on, they do pay later on. And secondly, there's a there's a positioning objective here, which is that I want to be you know, positioning Paddle in the minds of our target customers. And there are a couple of things there that we've got to do. Number one is we're unifying two businesses together, two sets of customers, uh, two, well, actually more than two, because ProfitWell had several different products. So three or four different target markets, different ICPs we're merging together. So there's a coherent story we're trying to tell. Um, 
Then also, there's another element of this, which is making sure we're working harder in the US market and raising our game in the US market. Because a lot of Paddle's business historically has been international, and a lot of ProfitWell's business has been US focused. So there's also a case of as we bring those brands together over time, we want Paddle to be much more well known in the US. So there's a few different kind of goals that we're trying to do there. And really, in answer to your question, if we didn't make this type of investment, I think our challenge will be, yes, we'll be paying more in terms of CAC from now on. Secondly, that will be really there'll be really fuzzy positioning around how we're seen in the market. And thirdly, that we would be, you know, stuck in Europe and rest of world rather than building a big name for ourselves in in what is one of the biggest software markets in the world in the US. Amazing. And something I wanted to touch on as well, because you sort of mentioned this earlier on in that, um, I guess what would be like a dream state for a lot of companies is this whole idea of you not being um, overly scrutinized, like to the op level mm-hmm. on the output of a, of a single campaign or initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, in some ways, I believe it, well, in most ways, you, you earn that right. Yep. But it, I'm really interested to hear from you, like, how did you get buy-in for these projects? Did you even need to get buy-in for these projects? Mm-hmm. And if so, how do you how do you approach that with the the CEO and CFO, and how would you kind of recommend other organisations who maybe don't have the same level of um, autonomy as you do um, go about that? And and you know, must be clear to say, I'm accountable for our performance, right? Yeah. So it might not be reporting on an op count, um, you know, every single week to the board, but certainly I'm accountable for for things going right, and will be accountable if things go wrong. In terms of buy in. You know, the documentary was interesting because I knew that ProfitWell and Patrick Campbell and the leadership there were very media friendly and they were just really strong in their media strategy. I knew Christian wanted that and we'd made a few small experiments that way. And for that one, it was about going to both of those CEOs and saying, look, are you happy to be filmed behind the scenes? Are you happy for us to put cameras into the due diligence rooms, into the deal rooms? Um, and then getting our chief, le- our general counsel, Mariam, um, who's our you know, chief, le- chief legal officer, getting her feedback and input in how we can do this safely so that she could have some sign off before we went public with it. Um, but there was a really strong positive reaction from all of them. The challenge there was while you're mid deal on that scale of acquisition, actually getting anyone's time and anyone's focus to do anything other than just try and get the numbers done is really hard. And so it was actually only once we gave them a a kind of a minute teaser of what the intro would be. And this was pretty late stage in the deal that suddenly they're like, oh, this actually will work. This can be something we're proud of. And then they were happy to jump on, you know, talking head diaries and doing other behind the scenes commentary. So it was much less about the permission to do it. It was much more about getting their buy-in to actually be involved and give their time to it. Um, And then with space, you know, I guess uh, it was a bit easier because it was an idea that came from from Christian, our CEO and founder. And I do think that's one of the ways that every marketer can work well and make sure they build that buy-in is get the buy-in from the very beginning. You know, we shouldn't be going to our senior execs with and pitching them ideas constantly. We should be hosting the conversation with them to get their ideas into our mix. And getting that buy-in even pre-idea really helps later on. Amazing. And what would you say like needs to change in the in the B2B marketing mindset to allow for this kind of creativity and, and more freedom when it comes to the types of content that we're producing? So I think if we're honest, um, most B2B content out there is quite dull. Um, and it, you could argue that sort of the, the types of persona and people that you guys are targeting, you know, traditionally might be set up for that type of content if it was being done in the old traditional way. So mm-hmm. yeah, what what's required from a mindset shift? I think there's three things that are required. First thing is that there's actually some customer insight there. You're building this on some reality that the customer or prospect is facing. 
Uh, number two, I think it does take a bit of courage um, because we've got to be willing to fail on this stuff. Otherwise, we won't be doing something that's genuinely interesting. And then thirdly, it needs a bit of time. And that might be time in payback and actually seeing some results. It might be time actually investing time away from um, the rigor and humdrum of building that engine in order to think and create. So yeah, I think it's insight, it's courage, and it's time. And with all three of those, every marketer can do things that are a bit more ambitious. Amazing. And why do you think um, it was time to produce campaigns like this for Paddle? Mm -hmm. Um, How are you viewing how the buying journey has changed? And what have you learned about how buyers behave that led you to the idea that this sort of out of the box B2B marketing was the way forward? So when I joined Paddle, they'd grown extremely quickly um, off the back of the COVID tailwinds, as well as other uh, other um, trends in the market, the, the product-led uh, growth trend. Um, but it was a pretty immature go-to-market in terms of channels and tactics. It was you know, largely outbound um, BDR cadences that were very sophisticated, plus a bit of event work. Um, and we needed to really build out a bench of other things to re- reach new ceilings in our, in our go-to-market. So firstly, it was time for us to experiment a bit more broadly. And part of me coming on board was that kind of board and leadership level ascent that we needed to kind of build up these muscles across a wider range of different channels and tactics. Um, secondly, we talked about that US market entry and making sure we had a stronger shift and move there and a strong, stronger perception there. And then the profitable acquisition as well meant that there was a real timeliness. You know, acquisitions are a wonderful moment. And, you know, you've been through them too, where you can, it's something that's newsworthy, people are interested, and you can really capitalize on that to, to, to ram home when you've got that moment of attention. So all of those were kind of reasons why this would be a good time for us to do it. Um, but also, I, I think our market, we see three points where people come and use Paddle. Either, you know, first dollar, They've used us before, or they've experienced the pain of sales tax compliance before, whatever it might be, and we just get in straight away. Secondly, it's where you hit three, four, five million dollar ARR, and suddenly you're hitting sales tax limits in certain countries, and you're realizing you're not set up as with an infrastructure and, and financial advice that helps you deal with that, and so you come and transfer your volume to someone like Paddle, or your later stage, and either you're launching a PLG motion, or you're starting to need to get yourself in order for later stage financing or IPO, and suddenly all the issues you're facing will ding you on valuation because you don't have your ducks in a row from a finance perspective unless you're using something like Paddle that takes care of a bunch of that admin. And if we think about those three different phases, I believe that what we're doing with these campaigns works for all three of them, which is important. But I do think that there is a a real, um, we see a shift in our numbers as we've got our own self-serve motion. You can come and start up with Paddle and play around with our sandbox and go live after you've gone through KYB, KYC without ever talking to a sales rep. And so, you know, one thing that I learned to optimizely from the global CMO there who came out of, of SAP, Kirsten, um, is this idea of building this brand to demand engine where people can hear about you, understand what you do and go all the way through um, to, to your pipeline in one foul swoop. And I believe that these type of campaigns don't just help and arm our sales team and our outbound team. They really strengthen the inbound flow as well. Amazing. And what would you say are some of examples out there in the B2B marketing space of brands who actually have done um, some creative brand marketing that have resonated and kind of um, stood out to you? Yeah, there are. I mean, there's loads. I'm I'm inspired by loads of people around who are doing fun things. Um, If we think about 
this as a platform. I think what HubSpot are doing with their creator network is super interesting, where they're you know, building that platform for other people to create, um, and they're helping with distribution, and they have kind of the advertising rights, if you if you see it that way, for all of those creators, podcasts, and YouTube, YouTubers. Um, I love what Udi's done at Gong. You've probably chatted to him about some of the, their work with the Super Bowl, but also uh, their Employer of the Year, Employee of the Year awards. You know, one of their goals is to create raving fans, and that starts with their employees being raving fans as well as their customers. And so they put billboards all around San Francisco and other areas celebrating their Employees of the Year, which was a key part of not just raising their brand awareness, but also their their employer brand for their talent team. And so I think you know, playing on multiple ones, multiple of those levers um, against a core value of creating raving fans was really interesting. They're very creative. Um, and their Super Bowl ads, you know, really interesting how they've just grabbed attention in the first second of those ads to, to lock in with the persona they're trying to sell to so that they earn the right to play the next 30 seconds or so and try and really resonate with sales leaders. Um, and, and of course, Alice, I've, I've loved uh, seeing how well the diary of a CMO has been taken down. It's so good to see the reaction to that. And it's, you know... I mean, you mentioned before we started recording that it was kind of beyond your expectations of some of the responses you've had. But I think it's fantastic that, you know, this is the market you serve. There are, you know, wannabe CMOs, new CMOs and existing incumbent CMOs who, you know, this is not just, it's something they'd pick up on a Saturday morning. And that's an aspiration I have for our marketing. And we have at Paddle that it's something on at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning that our target market would engage with. And I think you've nailed that with the diary of the CMO, because I can imagine a whole bunch of people, including myself, waking up on that Saturday morning, kicking the kids downstairs and opening the pages. So that's, that's a great, great job. Oh, well, thank you very much for, for that one. I definitely didn't tease that up, guys, as well, if you're listening. I promise that wasn't, <laughs> wasn't pre-planned. Um, and what do you think that the best kinds of these awareness activities are actually communicating? Like, what is it that they want to leave the, um, the listeners or the, the engagers like feeling or thinking at the end of the day? So if we think about a few of these examples we've used, so Diary of the CMO or the, um, if, if we think about the podcast network or if we think about the space campaign or the documentary, there's a, there's a strong sense of this is for me. So it's resonating deeply with a person you're trying to resonate with. So this is for me is a reaction that I want to get from our marketing. When someone picks up the Diary of the CMO, they're going to say, this is for me. When someone sees our documentary, I, I get WhatsApp still from you know founder friends saying, just finally watch the documentary you absolutely nailed it. This was such, this, this took the, her, I had a, a friend who pinged me and WhatsApp me a couple of, a couple of weeks ago saying um, her husband is a, uh, is a hedge fund lawyer or you know, M&A lawyer. And they watched it together and he could, he had to walk out of the room because it was so anxious. It's, it portrayed the, the deal process in some yeah. kind of emotion ridden way. Um, so that this is for me is really, is really key. Um, I also want, and I believe, you know, campaigns like this should should get that sense of I like them, I respect them, I value them, I understand them. There's there's something that's more than just as this is for me. There's some meaning that is communicated through it. And then, you know, one of the goals that we have at Paddle as well is we want to create marketing that gets a, a WTF reaction, an oh wow kind of reaction that this is they understand me, they're communicating meaning to me, and. This is impressive. Like it really speaks to an issue in my life. It speaks to something that matters to me. Um, so that's what I think the best types of, of B2B awareness activity communicate. Amazing. And then this is a question I wanted to ask because I, and I put this in, I appreciate it sort of late on in the day, but um, I'm just interested in it. We're going into Q2. People probably might be replanning 
kind of phase um, and maybe thinking about build, bringing in some brand activity into that. And so just interested to hear from you, like how you go about planning for these types of campaigns and initiatives, like across the year. How do you balance that need to kind of be agile, but also allowing for like these larger projects that inevitably are going to require more planning and, and more forethought? Yeah, I think uh, 2023 is definitely the year of the replan, isn't it? I'm hearing that across a lot, <laughs> a lot of my friends. Um, I think firstly, it would be wrong and foolish of me to say that we've got this covered. You know, mm-hmm. last year was my first year in seat. Um, a lot of this stuff is very new territory for us. So there's not some, you know, quarterly rhythm that's perfectly defined. Um, having said that, clearly we're operating within a wider plan and we've got a whole bunch of activity across different teams. And budgets are deployed, you know, and delegated to all of my team leads um, for them to, to, to work on a whole bunch of things, some together and some independently. We're trying to make sure as a business we have a monthly launch cadence. So those launches will either be product launches or, you know, things like space, you know, marketing launches, where we've got something meaningful and compelling to tell our audience about every single month. Um, I think one of the jobs we've got to do this year is remind the market and communicate to the market that we're a company that ships and we're getting better every single month, getting better every single quarter from our core product proposition. And that's not something we've done particularly well of. We haven't been good at blowing our own trumpet in the past. And so that monthly cadence of launching then kind of creates a structure where whether that's coming out of product marketing or it's coming out of demand or it's coming out of brand, we all have got to commit to making sure we fill different pieces of that hopper um, so that we've got that cadence and that tempo built in the business. And then clearly, as you say, there's this balance of things that might come up that we've got to invest time in. And frankly, often some of these larger projects, they just take longer than you want them to take. That space project, I think we started working on in May, April last year. Most of it was fully cut over the summer. But with the Ukraine conflict going on, we didn't want to be tone deaf about sending a rocket up into the atmosphere when there's, you know, I've got two Ukrainian refugee families living in, living in my annex across the way here. Like, we want to be, ex- and we've got clients in Ukraine. We've got partners in Ukraine. Like, it was, we wanted to be really careful over that. Um, and so that was one issue. And then we had a few things we wanted to play through on the demand gen and the ABM side that took longer to build out. And so that campaign was probably four months later than we expected it to be. But then when we got there, we felt it really it hit the spot. And so I do think it's a case of making sure there is this agreement within the team that we're going to hit this kind of tempo. And then it's about making sure there's a lot of flexibility behind the scenes to accelerate something that can be accelerated or to make sure um, that something is given a couple of extra months if that's really needed. Amazing. And I think there is just no, you know, there's no one size fits all for these things. It is about building that rhythm um, and building in the ability to have that agile-ness to it as well. So final question, which I ask everyone, because it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, what is one thing that you would tell marketers to start doing today that they're probably not already? And one thing that you would tell them to stop doing? So on start, um, I think certainly in the marketing friends I'm talking to, there are two different modes that people are in right now. So let's do two different start ones. Um, the, the, yeah. the first one If some of this more creative work is not something you're doing, then be ready to fail. Start getting ready to fail, I think, is is the key thing. Um, And otherwise, just if this is not something you're doing, start getting close to the customer. I've spent in the last two months, um, in the last month, I've been in Amsterdam and Barcelona, in in, in Austin, over in Boston. Um, we're, we're taking time to meet with our target market. We've been running dinners in New York and San Francisco, in Paris. Um, 
just get in the room with your customer, whether virtually or physically, making making sure you're having those conversations. Um, as a senior marketer, it's too easy to be isolated from your target market. Um, and we've got to be hearing that customer firsthand. And then on stop, um, you know, a bugbear of mine, particularly in these challenging economic times, and we all have to have the swear jar, we put a pound in every time we use that phrase. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so in this challenging economic time, we can't let budget constraints constrain ambition. So your budget doesn't constrain your ambition. We've all been in situations where we've had much less budget than we do today. Um, and so we've got to keep reminding ourselves that that's not the litmus test, uh, is what we can do with what we've got that really sets us apart as, as, as marketing teams and as go-to-market teams. I could not agree with that more. I think it's so, so important. And I think back to like the start of the Cognizant journey, for example, when I probably had, I don't know, my budget was like $3,000. I don't know, something like this, but we still managed to ship stuff and we got a lot done and that's where we grew and that's how we got where we got to. So completely agree on that. Maybe that's another whole podcast to be covered another time, but I will let you go. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been, yeah, really, really interesting and I'm sure people will have a lot to take away from it. So.